Get this and get it straight. Crime is us road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. There's no other end, but they never learn. For your enjoyment, Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum brings you Raymond Chandler's most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Face to Forget. All right, all right, wise guy. I told you once you couldn't come up here to this room, Marlowe. That's right, landlord, but I found all I needed. Well, you won't be able to use it after I teach you some manners. Snooper! I'll teach you to break into a respectable room and house. Not leading with your rights, you won't. Get up. Come on, get up. Okay. I'll teach you something about cooperation, landlord. All I wanted to do was look this room over, and I was nice about asking. Cut it out, I... I got my rules. Yeah, and I got a job to do. I've been looking for Dave Stroud for a solid week, and his trail finally led me here. I, I got to look out for my rumor's privacy. Sure, sure. Only Dave Stroud checked out of here this afternoon. He's no longer your guest. Anyway, I found enough in here to know Stroud's taking the train tonight for San Francisco. So that winds up my lecture, and I'm happy to say my business with you and your charming establishment. Good night, landlord. <laughs> I stepped out of the cheap, musty rooming house into the warm night. I felt for the first time in a week that I wasn't wasting my time. That by tomorrow I'd know why a quiet young guy named Dave Stroud had suddenly dropped everything that gave life some sense. Everything from a lovely girl to a fine job and vanished. Completely. I stopped in a phone booth, called my client, and told her to meet me in an hour at the Leopard Spot, the bar in her hotel. Then I made a reservation on the 10 o'clock train for San Francisco went home and threw a toothbrush and shirt into a bag, and when I walked into the leopard spot, I was right on time. I found my client, Ellen Wyatt, in a booth near the back. The soft rose lights touching her face made me wonder all over again what kind of pressure it could possibly have been to drive Dade Stroud away from a girl like this. I tried to wait in my apartment upstairs, Phil, but I just couldn't. Is it good news? I hope so, Ellen. That broken-down rooming house over in East L.A. paid off all right. Dave was staying there? Yeah, he had been, under the name of Donald Stranigan. But why would he take a place like that? He must have plenty of money with him. Oh, well, the city's cluttered with those joints. They're as common as tin cans. He figured you can't look into all of them. We were just lucky. Then he knows what he's doing. There's nothing wrong with him like... like amnesia. No, it's something else, Helen. Well, good evening, Miss Wyatt. Martini? Uh, yes, please. For you, sir? Martini sounds fine. Yes, sir. Right. Marlowe... Maybe that hunch I had about gambling, maybe it was right after all. Couldn't some kind of terrible jam with gamblers do this today? Yeah, it might. But I checked that and drew a blank. Say, listen, Ellen, the description of Dave I got at that rooming house isn't too complete. Uh, that snapshot I asked you about, you bring it? Oh, yes. Uh, oh, good. It's in my purse. Uh, oh, here. Uh, that was taken on our first date four years ago. Four years ago, huh? Those years made quite a change in both of you. Yes. Dave and I are good for each other, Phil. Oh, sure. I, I only hope that the next four Here we years. Are. A martini, very dry. Oh. Oh, thank you, sir. Well, I, I wish we had the kind of news we could toast. Maybe we will. 
sooner than you think. You've got a new lead? You know where Dave is? Well, close enough to be pretty sure he's taking a 10 o'clock to San Francisco. San Francisco? Yeah, and so am I. Phil. How about coming down to the station with me, huh? Me? Oh, but do you think that's wise? What if he saw me first? Well, it's worth a chance for you to point him out to me. What do you say, baby? Got something to drink to now? Yes, and I'd better do it fast before I start to ball. Tears would be awful in a martini. No luck, Phil. I still haven't seen you. Wait a minute. How about that one, Ellen? Over there at the cigar counter. Yeah. Oh, the fellow in the T-shirt? Yeah. Uh-uh. Dave couldn't look that sloppy. And besides, he's taller. Oh. Uh, well, that's it, Phil. Yeah. Well, I guess we missed him. I better get aboard, huh? This kind of scares me. You, you don't think Dave just pretended to be leaving that he tricked you? No, no. Those leads weren't planted. They weren't that good. Don't worry, baby. Dave will be on this train when it pulls out. I'll bet my last buck on it. Find him for me, Phil. Sure. You just keep that chin up. I will. Okay. And call me the very first chance you get. Call right. for train 61. Oh, oh. Pardon me, lady. I'm sorry. Hey, you, you have that wrong back. Me? Yeah, just a short minute, my friend. Unless you happen to favor dirty shirt size 17. <laughs> You're in for a big disappointment. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, I think you made a small mistake there. Isn't that my bag? I'm afraid not, mister. C.P. is in Philip, M. is in Marlowe. Well, how do you like that? I saw you pick it up back there at the information booth. That's where I left mine. <laughs> I could have sworn it belonged to me. I'm sure sorry. It's all right. It happens to everybody sooner or later. Yeah, well, now that's now, mighty uh, big of you, friend. Say, you're going to be on old 61 for Frisco, too, aren't afraid you? so, yeah. Well, let's call this an introduction. Arbeck's my handle. Manny Arbeck, on the road for Pfeiffer Plumbing Fixtures. Yes, sir. I'll see you on board, friend. Not much doubt about that. Well, we might get up a little game. Fun, huh? Oh, fine. Yeah, well, I better shake a leg and get my bag. I'll find you all right. I never forget a face. Maybe I ought to cut my head off. <laughs> I stopped off in my compartment just long enough to drop my suitcase. Then as we pulled out, I moved through the train to the dining car and picked a seat where I could keep an eye on the rest of the tables for Dave Stroud. Well, even if I didn't recognize his face, I knew from his fiance would handle the knife and fork European style. He likely to order liver and bacon and drink tea without sugar and would probably be dressed in wilted tweeds with the shirt collar open. Well, as soon as I sat down, the car began to fill. My table companion, a quiet tab collar type, had his own business and knew how to mind it. Almost 100%. Which he did for the 15 minutes it took him to eat. Well, I don't know why food always tastes better on a train, but it does. Thanks for letting me share the table with you. Oh, not at all. Uh, perhaps I'll see you later in the club car. We might have a nightcap. Yeah, it's a deal. Fine. Hmm. So long. So long. Oh, so there you are, oh, Marlowe. fine. Hey, I've been looking high and low for you, my friend. What you doing in here? They serve nothing but food in this car, you know. <laughs> Say, who's your pal? I don't know. I don't know. He was here 15 minutes, and we didn't get that far. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. You do? Yeah, those quiet birds give me the willies, too. You know, friend, I've seen him someplace before, and I never forget a face. You didn't catch his name, huh? He didn't throw it. He didn't throw it. Oh. <laughs> you like that, huh? Yes, sir, you're yeah. right on, my friend. Well, it'll come to me. Faces are kind of a hobby with me. I meet a lot of people, but I never forget a... Hey... 
Have you lost somebody in here the way you keep looking around? Yeah, but I think I found him again. Uh, hey, what's up? Where are you going? Play follow the leader. I'll see you all back. Hey, uh, Marlowe, come back. You dropped something here. In spite of the fog kicked up by the traveling typhoon who never forgot a face, I'd managed to catch a glimpse of the door of a bunch of tweeds and an open collar on a bill that exactly fit the four-year-old snapshot in my wallet. I bucked a huddle of undecided dodges blocking the aisle, but managed to keep him inside all the way back to car 16 without being seen. There I watched him unlock compartment L and go inside. I was convinced it was Dave Stroud, but at this point I had to be sure. I went to look for the conductor and finally found him tucked away at a lonely table back in the club car, as intent on his ticket count as a cheat at solitaire. I figured I could afford the time now, so I decided to wait. I headed back for the seat and I ran into my dinner partner, the Tad Color. Well, hello again. <laughs> You're a little early for that night, Jap, but sit down anyway. Thanks. Oh, by the way, I'm uh, Roy Carney. Oh, mine's Marlowe, Philip Marlowe. Philip Marlowe, I've yeah. read that name many times. You're the famous private detective. Well, <laughs> private detective anyway. <laughs> Glad to know you, Tony. Privilege for me. Oh, you're looking for a match here? Yeah. Oh, keep them. Keep them. I have others. Oh, thanks. Thanks again. Are you on a case now, Marlowe, or, or shouldn't I ask? Well, as a matter of fact, I... Hey, uh, Marlo. Oh. Marlo, man, are you hard to hang on to. But you're mighty lucky mm. I'm honest, my friend. You see this? Yeah, I see. It's my wallet. Yeah. When you bolted out of the dining car, you dropped it on the seat. I found it for you. Oh. Nothing fell out with this picture here. And is she all right, man? Oh, man. Who is she, boy? The name, I mean, huh? Don't tell me. I bet you you've seen her before. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. And I never forget a face. Uh-huh. Well, thanks. Now, if you let me have it, I'm very grateful. Yeah, and, sure, uh, sure. Glad to be of service, my friend. Oh. Anytime I can... Well, speaking of familiar faces, this is the gentleman that you had dinner with, huh? That's right, Auerbach. This is the gentleman. Uh, Mr. Auerbach, Mr. Tarney, for better or worse, till your destination do you part. How do you do? Tarney? Tarney, Tarney, Tarney. Now, that's funny. You know, I was just telling Marlowe here that I recognized you from someplace. Uh, it's very unlikely. I have a fair memory myself. <laughs> I don't remember you. Well, I don't know. I, I, I'm pretty good, but... That... Hey, wait, wait a minute. I'm getting it. Sure, sure. <laughs> oh, this is silly. Why, I saw you tonight in the railroad station. No, no, that's impossible. I was so late I nearly missed the train. Me too. Only you had a good reason. Oh, yes, sir, my friend. You were kissing the little woman goodbye. I couldn't see her too well, but she was quite a looker. And judging from the way you were going at it, you... <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, now, wait a, wait a minute, friend. I, I didn't mean any offense. I, I was just kidding you along. Yeah, well, I guess I'll, uh... Go by my way into a little poker. Excuse me. I suppose there has to be one on every train. Yeah, yeah. They help the ride like a square wheel. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I'll go read a while, Marlo. Good luck on your case. to climb out of his pile of tickets to stretch. I went over, introduced myself, and asked the $64 question. Uh, car 16, compartment L, huh? Well, let's see. Oh, here it is, Mr. Marlowe. That, that room's occupied by one Daniel Stacy. Daniel Stacy? Yeah, sure. Same initials as Dave Stroud. But we're not carrying any Dave Stroud tonight. Don't bet on that, conductor. It was that simple. I walked up through the train to car 16 and 
When I got to the door of compartment L, I'd already decided on how to handle Dave. I convinced him that he had to go back to Ellen Wyatt regardless of what had happened to him. Yeah, I had it all figured until I heard it. It had come from inside. The door was unlocked, but the lights were out. When I got them on again, I realized that nothing was simple. Ever. Stretched out on the floor of Dave's room was Manny Auerbach, staring straight up as he rocked with the pitch of the train, the side of his head against the sharp steel corner, his eyes already beginning to glaze. He said he knew I'd remember sometime. Remember what? Why did you come here, Manny? He said I'd remember... Manny! Manny! Well, Marlo, it's your move again. Let's see you tell this Ellen Wyatt. Who's that? What? Ooh! To make every day more enjoyable, treat yourself often to refreshing, delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. The lively, full-bodied, real mint flavor cools your mouth, moistens your throat, freshens your taste. And the chewing itself gives you a little lift, helps you keep going at your best. So for real chewing enjoyment that's refreshing and long-lasting, always keep Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum handy. Healthful, delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Gum will make every day more enjoyable. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's exciting story... The Face to Forget. Either it had been the flat of the pistol crashing against the side of my head, or my head crashing against the stone-hard floor of the compartment, that had turned light into dark and left me with a welt behind one ear the size and shape of a cue ball. I couldn't tell which. When I had both my eyes open, I knew that it didn't matter. That nothing mattered really, except that I was staring into Manny Auerbach's dead face. While only inches away, a pair of feet were moving. Feet that belonged to Dave Stroud, whose suitcase and toe was on his way out. One hand already on the doorknob. I went for him, around the knees! Let go! Let go, I say! By the time I I was off the floor and after him, he was well out in front. Wrestling with a heavy steel door at the end of the empty passageway slowed him down. When we reached the platform between the cars, he was almost mine. But then suddenly a hand shot out of the dark, grabbed a fistful of shirt front, and spun me hard against the opposite door. A hand that belonged to a man in a tab color. Mr. Roy Tarney, plus a shiny 22 automatic, and minus his club car velvet voice. Get up, Marlowe. We've got a little talk coming. At this stage, it'll be a pleasure. Believe me. We'll see. What do you want with Dave Stroud? I'm a census taker who's real... Cut it. Time is running short, Marlowe. When you get off at this stop coming up, you stay off. Yeah? What's your angle? Dave. He still needs my help and he's still gonna have it. No matter who he kills? Kills? What's that supposed to mean? Manny Auerbach, the chummy one who couldn't forget faces. He's very dead back in Dave's compartment. Well, then... And that loudmouth wasn't just a blowhard salesman. After all, he was what Dave's been running from, one of those lousy card shop. Slips, huh, Tony? Yeah, but they don't count, Mr. Detective. Nothing counts anymore but Dave getting out of a jam that can cost him his hide. 
Just for the record. That game back in L.A. three months ago that cost Dave every cent he had plus ten grand he didn't was about as level as the rest of that knee pants town ever gets. Which makes you what? Two things, smart Alec. First, a guy from Detroit, a real town, who doesn't like a lousy fix. And second, I like a fix even less when the sucker on tap is my own brother. Now, people, get back away from that door. The station's on that side. I wouldn't want you to run for it and get shot before you got to say a few words. Back over here, Marlow. Uh, take it easy with that gun, huh? They go off, you know. All right, the pitch. Let's have it now. What's Dave to you? Ellen Wyatt. Mean anything? Not very much. But Dave is sorry about that. So when you get back to your client, you Carter, tell it... Hold Carter, it. California. Just like you are in state chapel. This stop, Carter. Carter, gentlemen. Uh, conductor, this, uh, this train wait here a while? I mean, is there any time to get off and stretch? No, sir. Just stop long enough to pick up a little mail, leave a little mail, once in a while take on a passenger. Hardly ever, though, Carter folks aren't much on traveling. Oh, but by the way, aren't you the gentleman who was looking for Mr. Stacy? Uh, yeah. yeah. I found him, thanks. Oh, don't mention it. Glad to be of service. Say, don't get too close to the edge here, gentlemen. Carter! Carter, California! We, uh, we were talking about Ellen Wyatt, Tony. Why didn't precious brother Dave ever let her know that he had to lay low, that he was in a jam with gamblers? A bunch of roses with card and clothes could have gone a long way, or again, there's the telephone. Oh, button that up, Marlowe. I don't know any of the details. Maybe the kid didn't want to know he couldn't stay away from the pasteboard. Maybe he just didn't want it to worry. Anyway, that's not the point. Then what is? That a broken heart beats a broken skull seven times a week. You should know that much, people. So? So I don't want you, the girl, or anyone else to know where Dave is heading. At least not until I get back to L.A., buy my lonesome, and call a few spades just that. Like they do in Detroit, maybe, huh? Like they do in Detroit, no, maybe. You tell the Wyatt, babe, I'll look her up then. Now you get over there at the door and you take your choice. Jump or get pushed? Jump, pushed, or shot. Go on, Marlo. This is where you get off. <clears throat> Go on, the longer you wait, the harder it's going to be. Name it. Jump, push, or shot. I couldn't say much for the alternatives. But one look back over my shoulder at the gaping 22 automatic leveled at my head and Tawny's ice-cold gray eyes above made up my mind for me. Jump, it had to be! remember one thing about Carter, California. The right of way was more sand than stone. I, I was grateful. I'm sure, sure, I'm sure. Huh? Me snapping at you. Now listen, Miss Lily. Brass of some people. Hey, what happened to you, son? I tripped. Dad, this is important. Can you tell me where the limited stops next? Well, is anybody getting on at Murdoch Corner? No, no, no. The first real stop. A good-sized town. Mm, Let's see. Smoke cigars, son? No, no, no. Look, Dad, this counts. Now, come on, tell me, will you? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, now, uh, there's Fulton. That's a half-hour wait. Oh. Uh, you got a match, please, son? Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Here's a whole book, Keaton. Now tell me, how far is Fulton? Oh, 40, maybe 50 miles. Upgrade on the road. How can I get there in a hurry? I gotta catch that train. Well, uh, if you got a car, you can. uh, Where can I rent a car or get a cab? (laughs) This is not a chance, honey. Oh, excuse me, Jake's calling from Bakersfield. He's uh, he's expecting a grandchild. All right, for Jake. Now listen to me, Dad. There's a dead man on the limited, and this killer as well. And I was tossed off a train. Now let's take the business. Well, well, well. In that case, let's call ahead and get the police. No, I don't want that. Well, uh, why not, son? Because for one thing, the killer may have been justified. Self-defense and the sight of the law will toss him into a lot of panic. He'll only end up in more gunplay. For another, I have a very personal axe to grind. Uh, getting tossed off the train, huh? Yeah, among other things. Now, will you tell me that coupe out there? Is it yours? Yeah, but I can't For let 50 you take bucks. my car. You're a straight... Stri- cash? Cash. Here. Also, here's my credentials. I'm a private detective out of L.A. I'll get uh, your car back to you as soon as possible. I'll pay you another 50 when I do. Uh, now, give me the keys, will you? Quick. Yeah, yeah, sure, 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 okay. sure. Here, here, here. It's one in the middle. Thanks, Dad. And don't worry. I'll drive real... Ca- real- oh, oh, what's the matter, son? Well, you're staring like you don't feel so good. What is it? Uh, your head, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, my head, maybe. I ought to have it examined. Sometimes it's real slow coming up with the truth. The truth? What do you mean, son? I mean, I got a big fat hunch, a hunch that may be able to stop a second murder. If I make it to Fulton in time. So long, Dad. Thanks a lot. You've been a great help. My apologies and congratulations to Jake. <laughs> Like the station agent himself, Willard Hansen's coupe was a little less than spry. But with the accelerator jammed hard to the floor and only a straight, empty highway ahead, I managed to keep it at a straining 70 most of the way. And 50 minutes later, when I tore into Fulton and followed the street markers to the station, a long, low, welcome sound in the night told me I was on time. The train was just getting underway again. I slammed to a stop at the end of the depot. Piled out of the coupe and started to run for the last car. But I changed my mind. That train could chug on its merry way without me. After all, it was going without Dave Stroud and his big brother. The two men were walking down the deserted platform toward me. I slid back into the shadows of a pile of crates and waited. My hand tight on the 38 in my pocket, suddenly positive that my hunch was now a sure thing. Roy Tony was not Dave's brother, but he was the one who had murdered Manny Auerbach in car 16, compartment L. And he was ready to try murder again. All right, Straw, that's far enough. Hold it there. Tony, you're out of your mind. You've got no reason to kill me. I'll never say anything. Ellen knows that. That's why I ran. I could never turn Ellen over to the police. I I love her. Oh, yeah, sure. You're nuts about it. You've got lots of reasons to be, haven't you? Reasons like Ellen crossing you up for me and a tall stack of dough. Reasons like knowing that we're both responsible for knocking off our ex-boss to come into that dough. Sure, kid, you got lots of reasons to love her. But, Tony, I tell you, I do. I ran away, didn't I? Oh, but of course, Mr. Stroud, of course, you ran so that you could wait for a smart time in a smart place to try blackmail. No, no, that's not it. I ran because I love Ellen. Because whatever she's done has been your fault. Oh, oh, no, kid, you got it all wrong. The lady was the pilot all the way. Even to hire a lousy peeper named Marlowe to tag you so that I'd know where to get my hands on you. The, The man on the floor in my compartment... The dead man? That was a loudmouthed salesman with a memory for faces. He would have spoiled everything if he'd remembered that he saw me with Ellen in the railroad station and passed it on to Marlowe. I had to shut him up and then give the peeper a big cock and bull story about you being my brother and in hot water with gamblers. And Marlowe was the other one, the one who grabbed for me. That's right, Stroud. That was Marlowe. 
Too bad he didn't grab better, isn't it? Yeah, perfect shame, what? Tony. Put your dirty oh, look out! Makes two of us. Yeah, Dave. Even in Detroit, he'd be called dead. Come on, Dave. We got some telephone calls to make. The police, for one. All right. Marlowe, is all this really true? Yeah, I'm afraid so, Dave. The girl you wouldn't turn in for murder wanted to murder you. Believe it, kid, all at once. It'll be easier later on that way. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Marlowe, for getting here when you did. You saved my life. Well, not exactly. A guy named Willis Hansard gets part credit for that. A guy who runs a railroad station at Carter, California, and also smokes cigars and he sometimes runs out of matches. <laughs> what does that have to do with it? Everything, Dave. See... Hands had needed a light, and I gave him a book of matches that Roy Tony had given me earlier in the club car. I hadn't noticed them then, but I did when Hans had used them. They came from the leopard spot, Dave. The leopard spot? Yeah. The, the cocktail lounge at Ellen's hotel? That's right. And I couldn't buy Tony's having them as just coincidence that tied him into Ellen too tight. A hunch said so. Wait here, will you, kid? I'll only be a couple of minutes. I've got a long-distance call to make before we get in touch with the police. To Ellen? What are you going to tell her, Marlowe? Anything, Dave. Anything that'll keep her right where she is, ready and waiting for what's going to turn out to be the, uh, L.A. police. I won't be long, kid. After the telephone call, Dave and I spent a long hour with the Fulton police, explaining why a man named Roy Tawney was lying in their quiet railroad station face down in a pool of his own blood. And it was a long hour again with the railroad officials who arrived with their own set of questions. Well, it was four o'clock in the morning before we were finally aboard a train heading back for L.A. Dave Stroud and I sat opposite each other in silence through that bleak, empty hour when you can almost feel the day that's coming up nudge the one that's just gone by. I was real glad to see it go. I sat there looking at Stroud and wondered if he'd ever heard the lyrics of a song a train whistle always makes me think of. My mammy done told me. When I was in knee pants, my mammy done told me, son, a woman's a two-faced, a worrisome thing who'll leave you to sing the blues in the night. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Harry Bartell, Sammy Hill, Roy Rowan, Parley Bear, Larry Dobkin, Elliot Reed, and Junius Matthews. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. The makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum invite you to be with us next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time I tangled with three snakes. The first was made of gold, the second wore a mustache, and the third 
was in the bag, and each in its own way, poison. Bob Stevenson speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. There's no other end, but they never learn. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, A Seaside Sabbatical. Wire in my hand said it all. Need your help, urgent. Meet me at 8.30 tonight, Ship's Galley Cafe, Long Beach. Signed, Dale Higgins. The time and the place were known factors, the need for help, the urgency, and most of all, Dale Higgins were unknown. And my hazy recollection of algebra told me that three unknowns are mathematically impossible to find. Call it a challenge, call it money, call it a chance for a short dinner, call it anything you like. But 815 found me pulling into a parking lot on Ocean Boulevard, not far from the amusement pier. Just leave it there, I'll be right with you. Oh, hello, Mr. Marlowe. Hiya, Red. How's it going? Oh, great, thanks. What brings you to the capital of Iowa? Corn. <laughs> my aim's getting bad, Red. I thought I'd come down to the pike and try for my limited a shooting gallery. Gee, really? Yeah. Greatest practice in the world. Is it still 35 cents and no questions asked? Huh? Oh, to park the car. Yeah, that's it. Okay, kid. Keep it. Oh, thanks. Hey, I, I mind if I recommend the quick quack? How's that again? Used to be the dead duck. Best shooting gallery on the pike for my dough. Oh, that quick quack. Oh, sure. Anybody be a fool to go anywhere else, Yeah. Huh? My sentiments exactly. See you, Red. You bet, Mr. Marlowe. Red's a nice kid. His name was a natural. He was blonde. <laughs> I bobbed along Ocean Boulevard in a direction that instinct and a blaring blue neon sign indicated would lead me on course to the ship's galley. The night was muggy and close. You wore it like an extra coat. And the ocean breeze I'd anticipated had retired in favor of alternate waves of fog that rolled in, engulfed you for a moment, and then suddenly rolled out again. I was very nearly on time for my 8.30 appointment with Dale Higgins as I turned blue beneath the ship's galley neon and stepped inside to be greeted by tight little groups of faces that opened and closed to admit food, drink, and talk, all indigo. The door behind me closed on two thoughts. My dreams of a shore dinner were blasted, and the ship's galley emerged as the last place in the world for anyone in need of urgent help to discuss his problems. But then, I didn't know Dale Higgins. Are you Philip Marlowe, by any chance? That's right. Yeah, it looked like you were looking for someone. I'm Higgins. Oh, oh how are you, Higgins? Do we talk here? Uh, probably not very well. No. Uh, walk along the beach? Oh, fine, fine. Now, oh. say, Higgins, 
Did you ever wonder why people pack into hot little rooms on a night like this? Oh, you mean the ship's galley? Yeah. Well, philosophy is not my business, Marlowe. What is? Well, I don't quite know how to tell you, I guess. Well, your wire said urgent. That's good enough for openers. Yes, well, the truth is I was a little quick sending that wire. No. Pretty upset about a situation at the time, but things have resolved themselves now. I won't require any help. Uh-huh. Well, you ought to know. I expect to pay you, of course, the trip down and your customary fee. That'll be 25 a day in expenses. Seven cents a mile for 23 miles and, uh... Oh, yeah, yeah. 35 cents for parking my car. Yeah, uh, seven times 23, $1.60, $61. Uh, $35? $1.96. $26.96 altogether. Uh, is uh, cash all right? <laughs> Always has been. Uh, Marlowe, I am sorry about this. I didn't set out to bring you on a wild goose chase. Yes, looks like I've got the right amount. Thanks. Don't worry about it, Higgins. Anybody can change his mind. Yes, I, I guess that's right. Well, uh, thanks for your trouble. Not at all. Yeah, well. I turned in the direction of her voice, but the fog has a cute way of diffusing sound as well as sight. And I realized I wasn't closing in on anything, that the fog was circling me and I was circling it. So I stopped and waited. I listened and heard nothing but the sound of the sea and the faint wheezing of the pike calliope. Then suddenly it hit me. Somewhere along the fog-swept beach, a girl had called my name. And nobody knew I was in Long Beach except Red at the parking lot and Dale Higgins. Yeah, the choice was obvious. Did she find you okay, Mr. Marlowe? Yeah, yeah, Red, she did. You tell her where I was? Oh, I sure. I told her you and me always did our shooting at the Quick Quack. Good boy. Now tell me who she is. Who she is? Yeah. You, you mean you, you don't know her, Mr. Marlowe? That's the general idea, Red. Well, well, I, I, I guess she's my age. Yes, I know. Who is she? Uh, sh she's... Yeah. She's... You, you want your car, Mr. Marlowe? <laughs> no, Red, not now. I think I left something back at the Quick Quack. Everything that was young and pretty along the pike was hanging onto a sailor's arm. Around Gene Arno's Quick Quack, the nearest thing to youth and beauty with a neatly lined 22s poised across the counter. Try your luck, mister. No, no, thanks. Just looking, I'm not buying. Yeah. See, I just lost my girl. Well, don't blow your brains out here. These guns is for shooting ducks. I see what you mean. We said we'd meet here if we got separated. Have you seen her by any chance? She's seven, eight feet tall, glandular case. She's three stalls down, build the toothpick. Thanks so much. Still just looking, not buying. Still just look... Try it from a distance. It looks even better. Go on, bud. Beat it. I spotted her. At least I'd spotted a frightened fawn of a thing who caught my eye as if we were the only two on the pike. And there was something about her that made me wish we were. I followed her away from the crowded amusement section up the ramp toward Ocean Boulevard. Suddenly she broke into a run, darted into an alleyway. I wasn't far behind her. No one saw you, did they? Follow me? Like who? He might have. And there may be others. I don't know. I don't know. That makes two of us. Now, wait a minute. Let's talk, huh? I saw you meet him. I thought it was you at the parking lot. I saw you meet him at the ship's galley. Something like you lost in a mob. I'll kill you, you know. If you're with them, I'll kill you. I've got to before someone kills me. I don't know. I don't know about you. Now, listen, you. baby. Baby, I'm with you. Don't come any nearer. All right, all right. I can't be seen with you. I can't walk out of here with you. He's around somewhere. I know he is. 
Oh, Mr. Marlowe, you'll help me. You'll have to. There isn't anyone else. Of course I will. Of course I will. Well, then, look. As soon as you can, get your car. Don't let Bal see you now. Bal? You know Bal. Listen, in your car, meet me at 7th and Anaheim. I'll get there. I'll have to. And then we can talk. Yeah, but wait a minute. 7th Hold 7th and it. Anaheim, Mr. Marlowe. Oh, I, I, I'm Dale Higgins. <laughs> It was a study in contrast all the way. A din and kaleidoscope of Rainbow Pier against the lonely sound of a foghorn. The gray feel of fog in the dank gray black of the warehouse district at 7th and Anaheim. An urgent wire signed Dale Higgins. <laughs> Dale Higgins. And a guy who called himself Higgins. Husband? Lover? What? Well, here we go again, Marlowe. I parked the car and waited. The fog hugged the streetlight, but the sign was intermittently visible. I had the right place. I don't know how long it was before I heard the footsteps, but it was long enough for me to stretch my legs out along the car seat, lean my head back against the door, and feel the damp touch of fog sweep against my face from an open window. I remember starting to turn my head toward the direction of the steps and thinking that Dale had made it in good time. Oh! In just a moment, we will return to the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, just as systematic exercise builds a strong body, so does systematic saving build a strong future. Save systematically for your future and for your country's future with United States defense bonds. And now with our star, Gerald Moore, the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, A Seaside Sabbatical. I could almost hear the chain pulleys clanking the first time I opened my eyes. And it took another game try before the fuzz faded away and the room slowed down to a Lambeth walk. Off somewhere, the faint sound of breakers. And I did the ceiling, the walls, and one corner of an expensively furnished room before I centered on the fuzzy, indeterminate face at my bedside. A kind face, motherly and pleasant. It talked. I'm Mrs. Higgins. Oh, oh no. Yes, yes, I am. Uh, is everybody in Long Beach named Higgins? You don't really feel a bit well, do you? No, no, not really. Oh, we're awfully sorry, Mr. Marlowe. I know when Dale realizes what she's done, she'll be sorry too. Yeah, I spoke. Dale bean me? What with a peer? Oh, she's often violent, I'm afraid. Such a high-strung girl. Gives way so easily, you know. Yeah. Imagines all sorts of things and then... Well, just give way. Yeah, yeah. But I won't worry you with that. Dale's my problem. Uh -huh. I I won't worry you with anything, Mr. Marlowe. Just you get a nice rest. I'm a cinch. We'll pay whatever damages there are, of course. But I won't hear of you leaving now until you're much better. Oh. oh. Hey. Oh. Oh. mother of the Higgins clan had locked the door and walked away. My head felt big and woozy and rammed down into my neck. I was not in the pink. Mother Higgins had ordered a nice rest and it looked like I'd need it. But I don't like strange rooms and locked doors and high-strung girls who give way. I was still trying to get out of bed when another door clicked slowly open on the other side of the room. My little frightened fawn was back. 
and my head hurt. I heard Marie with you. That's how I knew you were here. Oh, poor Mr. Marlowe. Did they hurt you? They sure did. It wouldn't do, you know, if they found me talking to you. I, I feel better now that you're here. I wish I did. What happened to you, do you know? I have a rough idea. Say, honey, how much do you weigh? 105 when I left the convict, but that, that's not important. Listen, I, I can't stay long. You know, a romance with you would be rough. Please, Mr. Marlowe. They're going to kill me. Val and Marie, I... All right, all right. Now settle down. They are, and I don't know why. Maybe if I knew why, I'd understand. Yeah, but listen, I... I didn't even know Val then. Val? Val Nichols, a friend of Marie's. She sent him to the boat to meet me. Ever since then, I just know they are going to kill me. Dale, listen to me. I don't know Val. As a matter of fact, until you told me, I thought his name was Higgins. And I don't know Marie. What makes you think they're going to kill you? You met Val last night. The ship's galley. You talked to him. And Marie was just here. Oh, don't, don't try to confuse me. You're all I have. All right, honey. But tell me, isn't Marie your mother? My stepmother. Daddy's dead. And when I got off the Orange Coast the other night, whenever it was, there, there was Val. The Orange Coast? That's how I came back. Mr. Marlowe, you, you're not trying to understand. If you won't help me, then... He's coming. Don't let him... I hope that you're not bothering Mr. Marlowe, Dale. No. No, I'm not. He asked me to come in. He, he likes me. Of course he does, dear. We all do. No. Feeling better, Mr. Marlowe? The worst way. Oh, I'm sorry. Come, Dale. Let's let Mr. Marlowe rest. Oh, you could use a little rest yourself, my dear. No. He wants me to stay. I'm not bothering. Well, you're not bothering at all, honey, but maybe it would be better if you come back a little later. Yes, huh? yes, of course it would, dear. Now, come along now. I can come back, though, Mr. Marlowe. You promise? Sure. Well, if you promise, I, I know you'll keep it. Never mind, Val. I came in alone, you know. I can find my way out. She's sweet. She's sick. A very sick young lady, Marlowe. Troubled, confused. She's got nothing on me. <laughs> now, look, what is this all about? I don't know what day it is, what I'm doing here, who you are, anything. Well, it, it should all have ended with our meeting at the ship's galley last evening, Marlowe. You're not clearing anything up for me, you know. You've seen her, talked to her. You must realize that she imagines things. Right now, she imagines that she's been away from here a long time, that she came back a few days ago upon a ship, that her mother and I want kill her. She did send me the wire. Oh, yes, yes. We had no idea one of her spells was coming on. We left her for a short time yesterday. The switchboard has its instructions, of course, and they reported it to Mrs. Higgins on your return. So we, we thought it best if I met you and... Uh, Called well, me up. Uh, it's, it's not in your line, Marlowe. You're right. I'm going to keep it that way, too. And Mrs. Higgins realizes that she is going to have to do something about Dale Institution, perhaps some long-range treatment at any rate. Dale was in no condition to be running around last night playing mysteries and taking up your time. Whoever hit me in the head last night was in pretty good condition. If I had gotten there two minutes sooner, I could have spared you all that. You were following her? No, no, no. I was coming back from my boat. I had gone down to the harbor after I left you. Oh. As on the way back, I just happened to see Dale, and knowing the state she was in, I followed her, of course. I see. She doesn't know she hit me, does she? <laughs> I don't believe that she has the slightest idea what happened. Things started swimming again. Val Nichols became part of the draperies. I was trying to think, but it hurt. 
everything hurt. The next time I tried, I was more successful. The sunlight was streaming in the room. The clock on the night table visible for the first time said it was almost noon. So I got up. It was still pretty fuzzy on the edges, but I found my clothes hung neatly in the closet. Managed to get them on in the right order and made it to the door that had been locked before, but it wasn't this time. Mr. Marlowe, you shouldn't be up. Well, I'm always flying in the face of great odds, Mrs. Higgins, Bill's character. <laughs> Even so, you should stay in bed a while. Oh, really, I'm fine, thanks. But you're not leaving, I won't think of it. You'll lunch with us at least. No, no, really. I've got to go, but I'd like to see Dale first. I sort of promised her I would. Oh, my. She's sleeping, Mr. Marlowe. Oh? We gave her a sedative. Doctor's orders, of course. She's had such a trying time, you oh, know. Oh, I wouldn't want I... to disturb her, no. But maybe I can call later, Oh, huh? that would be so thoughtful of you. I know she'll be disappointed at not seeing you, but I... Oh, Val, I... Uh... Up and about so soon, Marlowe? Yes, uh, well, I... she's sleeping, isn't she, Val? Hmm? The sedative and all, I mean, I was just telling Mr. Oh, Marlowe yes, that... Oh, yes, yes, She's resting very well, Marie. Now, don't, don't fret about her. Well... I'll take you to your car, Marlowe. Uh, oh, oh yes. Well, Mrs. Higgins, it's been... Uh... Oh, it's been downright dreadful, and I know it, Mr. Marlowe. If I can do anything to right this terrible wrong, please let me know. Well, if I can think of anything, I'll let you know. <laughs> goodbye, Mrs. Higgins. Tell Dale goodbye for me, will you? Oh, yes. Yes, of course I will. Well, it uh, looks like another lovely day, doesn't it? I followed Val Nichols' lead to an elevator and for the first time discovered that I was in an apartment hotel on a different stretch of Ocean Boulevard than the one I'd grown to loathe the night before. Val filled in a few last details as he walked me to my car in the underground garage. Seems he'd driven Dale and me to the apartment from 7th and Anaheim in my car and sent a lackey back for his. It fit. We shook hands and that hurt my head too. I drove off. Somewhere in the harbor district, the need for coffee and a few lungful of ocean air forced my hand. I parked the car and found both in a ship-shaped spot with a clear view of the docks. The first cup cleared my head, and the second one down near cleared the counter. Hey, watch it! I am. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. It'll wipe up. How about you, getting the onion? No, no, I don't think so. You, uh, you know anything about ship schedules? Like what? Like that first one out there at anchor. The Orange Coast? Yeah. Well, seems to me she landed three or four nights ago. Don't know how long she'll be tied up. She's a fruit boat, though. Their office is just a block from here. Oh? More than likely, their book's solid, but if you want to check... Mr. Marlowe, there was a passenger Higgins on the Orange Coast when it docked Tuesday. Uh, Miss Higgins it was, Miss Dale Higgins, according to our records. Any record of where she boarded the boat? Let's see now. Oh, yes, at Macapa. Macapa? Brazil. Macapa, Brazil. Was she traveling alone by any chance? I really don't know. There's nothing here to... Any indicate. other Higginses aboard? No. Hmm. How about a passenger named Nichols? Any chance of that? No, no Nichols either. Okay. Thanks. Thanks very much. It was my turn to send a wire, only it was a cable this time. And it was going to be a while between answers, so I checked into a nice, clean, inconspicuous hotel. Had some food and a half bottle of aspirin and placed two phone calls. 
Dale Higgins was still resting comfortably, according to her stepmother. But Muff Benjamin was still willing to do anything for a buck. He was there in no time. I uh, heard you were here, Ma. Something big. Could be. You tell me you're the guy who hears things. About you being here? Mm -hmm. oh, you know how it goes. People see people, people tell people. It's nothing. Yeah, I know. It happens all the time. Now, look, Muff, I gotta know things quick. Well, I, uh... For money. Who and what? All right. I get this. The name is Higgins. Mm -hmm. Man old enough to have an 18-year-old daughter. I don't know his first name. He's dead, I think. But the daughter's name is Dale. You got that? Uh -huh. And the wife that's surviving is called Marie. Uh -huh. They have an apartment on Ocean Boulevard, the shore, I think it is. I got it. Okay. Now, a guy named Val Nichols, check on him, too. And if Higgins is dead, find out about a will. I'm ahead of you. Good. Get back as soon as you can, huh? You double the dough, I'll double the speed. You double. Hello. Mr. Philip Marlowe, please. Speaking. I have a reply to your cable to Macapa, Brazil. Oh, good. Give it to me slow, huh? Dale Higgins, accompanied to boat by nun. Nun? Order of the Holy Cross has convent near here. Suggest you check there. Signed Emerson Ward, Macapa Fruit Exporting Company. Did you say Order of the Holy Cross? That's right. Do you wish to send a reply? No. No, not yet, anyway. Thanks. <laughs> You see, Father, if you could help me contact the convent in Brazil, I could find out how long Dale was a student there. That might shed some light on the situation, huh? I see. I'm not schooled in your ways, Mr. Marlowe. Still, we're both seekers after truth, aren't we? In this case, a very specific truth. That's right, Father. I want to help, of course. Your cable said this was a Sisters of the Holy Cross convent? Yes. If there were any way we could call down there. You see, Father, time's pretty important. Mm. If it's possible, we shall call, my son. Meanwhile, our prayers are with Miss Higgins. Come, Mr. Marlowe. My prayers were with the phone company, too. And with Muff. And, of course, Dale. Because if her version of things were true, she was in real trouble. And until I knew what it was for... There was very little I could do for her. Was the information from the sisters helpful, Mr. Marlowe? Well, they were very cooperative, Father. Dale's been a student there for almost seven years, winter and summer. Mm. Her stepmother visited her every day, but Dale never left the convent until two weeks ago. Maybe it all fits, huh? I'll bless her, my son. Thank you, Father. And thank the sisters of the Holy Cross. Muff Benjamin was waiting at my hotel when I got back. <laughs> it was another study in contrasts. So far, I dealt with a priest, an informer, and a sister superior. And together, we were all coming close to an answer. His name was Dale Higgins, too, the doll's father. Died seven years ago, loaded. Yeah? Left the second wife, Maria, good income. But the big load went to the kid. All right, what'd you get on Val Nichols? Oh, he's a bad one. Yeah? Specialty is knocking down rich widows. Currently fraternizing with this Marie Higgins thing. Bless you, Muff. Huh? I mean, here's your dough. You do look so much better than when you left, Mr. Marlowe. Really? Is Dale still sleeping? 
Why, yes. I think I'll look in on her, huh? No, I I mean, I'd rather you didn't. Where is she, Mrs. Higgins? Mr. Marlowe, you have no... I wonder if she liked it at the convent. What? Seven years is a long time to be away from home. A lot of things can happen in seven years, you know, Mrs. Higgins. You can even end up legally dead. Why, I... I'm sure I don't have any idea. Dale's dad must have thought a lot of her. I'll bet she was pretty close to him, too. She, she was. They... Mr. Marlowe, what are you... So you tell me, Mrs. Higgins. There's nothing to tell. Dale I... seems to think there is. Which room is hers? She... She isn't here. I... Oh, Mr. Marlowe, don't ask any more. Oh, no, she's with Val, huh? On his boat. Oh, how did this ever happen? I didn't want it this way. I thought if she could have been declared legally dead, oh, I'd have taken care of her. I, I, I mean, kept her there in the convent. No one knew she was there but Val. Val had to have her really dead. Is that expensive, Mrs. Higgins? Oh, help her, Mr. Marlowe. He'll do it this time. He'll kill her, I know. Believe me, I don't want how that. How long have they been gone? Not long. Half an hour, maybe, but no longer. I'll go with you. <laughs> Marie really cracked on the way to the harbor. It was going to be a fishing accident in the channel. And Val would get away with it, too, unless we found something that could outpower his 30-footer. It was called the Queen Marie, one guess who had given it to him. I found the boat I needed, all right, but the skipper seemed reluctant to go for it. Wildest thing I ever heard of. I tell you, it's a matter of life and death. The Coast Guard can't go on every... Look, look, a month ago we needed you off Balboa when our motor conked out and you came. But we've received no distress call from the Queen Marie. What do you think this is I'm giving you? Please, don't waste time talking. All right, come on, how about it? Okay, but if this isn't on the level, you're in some trouble, Marlowe. By the time we'd cleared the harbor, I knew Val didn't have a chance. Every boat in the area had been alerted. I didn't know about Dale, though. I just hoped the sedative Val had given her was merciful. The Coast Guard took care of Val once we came alongside the Queen Marie. And I took care of Dale. She was in the galley, tied securely. Still dopey, but she came around after a while. Oh. Mr. Marlowe, you... Take it easy, baby. You're okay. You... I was afraid you'd forgotten your promise. No. But you didn't, did you? It was night now. And the lights that stretched out along the shore looked friendly and warm. <laughs> friendly and warm. I wonder when people are going to realize that the only happiness there is in the world is what they can give each other. Happiness, that is. Not a stab in the back. But you know, there's one thing about me. Yeah, I have to admit it. I'm an optimistic fella. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and written for radio by Kathleen Height. Featured in the cast were Gene Bates, John Daner, Irene Tedrow, and Lee Millar, with Harry Bartell, Barney Phillips, Lou Krugman, Donna Hainer, and Stan Waxman. Gerald Moore may soon be seen in the Santana production, Sirocco. The special music is composed by Pierre Garagank, and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Be sure to listen again next week at the same time when Philip Marlowe says... 
This time an old lady got taken for a new kind of ride by a new kind of chauffeur. And I got involved up to a gun in my ribs. All because I decided to spend a quiet day at home. Don't miss Broadway's My Beat, featuring Detective Danny Clovers, the cop who knows every character, every star, every crook, frequenting the Great White Way. It's tomorrow night at the Star's Address. Now, stay tuned for Gangbusters, which follows immediately over most of these same CBS stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking. This is CBS here, Horace Hyde, every Sunday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System.